Cool. We're good to go. Did you, have a, did you have a professional introduction for Rendell, Pete? Um, I, I was just, I was, I've given up on my professional introductions, I think. I think we're just going to roll with it now. There's too many, uh, we were discussing earlier, Rendell, about how we are not the polished podcast. We are just, we just, we just go. <laughs> and we just we're just two guys. We, we flow with the go. We don't we, go yeah. with the flow. We tap, we bump, we, we, we roll. So on, in, in, uh, in that spirit, Rondell, thank you for, for taking time out of your day and, and, and talking to us. Um, we've not met you face to face before, but like I said, before the, the, the live stream happened, we've heard lots about you from, from Mike when he's been in the UK. Um, fascinating to, to hear about your school over in Trinidad and Tobago. I think there's some big, big differences. Am I right in thinking that your school doesn't have walls? Some, maybe one of your schools is like open air, right? Yep, we've had open air schools. Um, we've had outdoor schools. We've done beach sessions. Um, we like to get outside into the sun as much as we can. You know, grab the mats, head out to what you would call a park, a savannah and train. Um, we, we are at... I think where Gracie Jiu-Jitsu was maybe 50 years ago in Brazil. Wow. Um, we are the first generation of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu in Trinidad and Tobago. And um, we have the first ever black belt in Trinidad and Tobago who trained in Trinidad from scratch. Um, I am that person. It's taken me 23 years of doing Jiu-Jitsu to get there. Um, so when I hear guys complaining, oh, you know, I've been training 12 years and I don't have a black belt. I I just have a wee chuckle, right? I'm like, you're not serious. <laughs> you know, you don't know what it is to use Black Belt magazine to figure out how to do a guillotine choke. You know, that's, that's where we came from. And then we had VHS. And then, and then we were able to, you know, travel. And then I remember the first time I ever went to the Budokai in London. Um, Project Gracie was still running classes there, right? And he's like, where are you from? I'm like, from Trinidad. What belt do you have? I said, well, I have a white belt. And he let me roll with him. And I stopped counting on the 49th tap. <laughs> serious. But I'll tell you this. When I went back home, I knew so much more. Right? And um, it's, it's, it's been a journey in creating as much opportunity to get as much information and bring it back home. Mm-hmm. Knowing that there's things that I'll never be able to experience because of my journey, but that the students and the, the generations to come are going to be so much richer for it because some of the older ones, myself, um, Coach Gail, Chris, we were willing to, to take the bite of getting the information to bring it home. And I'm, I'm sure you guys know that feeling when you're, you're like, the first or second generation. And you're looking at the guys who are coming up behind you and saying, I wish I had me when I was you. <laughs> and um, it was tough because in the beginning, I got caught in that, that thought that I had to get as many techniques as possible. And it's only when we ran into Master Sour that we realized, if I have grasp of the key concepts of jiu-jitsu the techniques come on their own mm. and that 
it sets up this natural technique filter where I realize, oh, don't need that, don't need that, don't need that, because I understand these things. And the six things that really created this framework for thinking that, that we use down here is the three main concepts of Grandmaster Elio, which is leverage, self-defense mindset, and natural biomechanics. And then when you combine that with connection from Grandmaster Hickson, which is part of the Pedro Sawa movement, because he's in our line. And then you add those, those magical concepts that Master Sawa has, which is mechanics and self-protection. The mindset of always being consistently responsible for what's happening when you engage in another. And that you are the person who's going to control whether you get hurt or not. That stuff, you know, I wish 23 years ago I knew that because my journey would have been much shorter. Um, and then I'm, I'm one of those lucky people that I spent 10 days with the Valente brothers doing their instructor development program. And so I got a sense of that old school self-defense mindset. And, and when that's added to the, the innovative approach that Master Sawa has to self-defense, um, and I was joking with a buddy of mine, I suspect when, when you have to train with guys like um, the, the Mark Schultz's of the world, Oh, we're losing him now. He's still with us, Rendell. We got that in. <clears throat> we got the inter the international internet freeze. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll wait for Rondell to uh, to catch back up with us. I'm sure they'll uh, he'll join back in in a second. This is an unprecedented time, Bill. This is now the first we... time. I know it is, and first we need to podcast. Your cards with the questions on, we can ask each other. No, we can't do that. Yeah, I haven't got the cards with me, so I can't, uh, I can't, can't come up with them. <laughs> I was, uh, I, I will ask Rondell when he comes back on, but I, I'm, I, I'm completely blown away. I don't think I've ever met anybody that can claim to have tapped for Hodger Gracie 49 times. I bet yeah. there's <laughs> I need to ask him more about that. That's, uh... That's good to see here. Uh, Dave, Dave's watching. Yeah, Dave's watching. Uh, hey. Oh, here we go. We've got Rondell back again. I'll uh, log him back in again. He's joining. Here we go. Here we go. That, that, that's island life, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying to the guys, Rondell, I, I, I'm, my mind's blown. I can't believe that I'm talking to somebody that tapped Hodger Gracie 49 times in one row. Oh, no. That was me, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people talk, talk about what mastery is like. And like, um, you roll with somebody like um, Mike Horian, or you roll with with with, with Hodja, one of those guys, and you just feel like a baby. You feel so powerless, so like useless. And then I'm like, Yo, what's going on here? 
Why am it's, I so lame? <laughs> it's uh, it's scary, right? Uh, I mean, I, I remember rolling with Mike, and I, I just felt like I was being like steamrolled. Every single, nothing was happening fast at all, but but every single move that I made, I just felt like I was getting crushed a tiny bit more and more and more. Did did he hit you? What we call in the island, land it. There's this move Mike does, right? Now, there's a poison we use in the Caribbean to kill weeds called lanate. It kills everything. It's the most deadly poison for, like, plants and weeds and crap. He goes into close guard, and then he does this sweep. It's like a kind of helicopter sweep, kind of like a pendulum, a cross kind of hook pendulum sweep. And he swept me for the first 45 minutes we ever rolled. Like every minute, the same exact sleep once. And I'm like, you know, like, why? Why, why is this happening? And it, he had to teach me how to stop him from sweeping me. <laughs> it's horrible. That's Mike. I just feel like he's a, a sandbag that everywhere you move, he kind of fills the space. You make a little move and then he's already done. there. Yeah, he's already there. And then you think, okay, that's all right, because I'll move. Oh, no, he's already there. And I'm going to move this. No, he's, he's there as well. Like every, yeah, he fills the, uh, he fills the space that you're going to move into really well. Yeah, I really enjoy having him as my direct teacher because um, sometimes, like Michael Jordan, is hard to understand if you don't have the Phil Jackson, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and Master Sauer is so high level sometimes. Like when we go to Master Sauer seminars, I know I don't get about 90% of what he's saying. Not because he's complicated. He's like the best teacher I've ever seen. I'm just not at that level. Like, you know, and I need somebody to dilute it yeah. and break it up in a way that my little old brain can process. And um, that's what I feel Mike did for me. He helped me be able to understand how powerful the material that Master Sauer has is. Because sometimes in Master Sauer's delivery, you know, you can miss the, the mastery level. Because mm. his, his delivery style is so smooth and, and so fun and the stories are so amazing that the, the minute accuracy and his mechanic and that's why i said the concept of mechanic like there's this thing you know the z post we call it z posting where he he's on his back but his toes are alive mm. in a way that allows you at all times to access leverage yeah and you know that just that little thing you know or or how they they do what we call the gully creep which is the, the shoulder rolling Upa. So not only are you only upering, but you're traveling along the length of your spine. And those small mechanics, or the classic one, the hitchhike, where he yeah. sweeps you, but then halfway in the sleep, Master Sawa just holds on and he just rides to the end of it. Those things you don't really see in other jujitsu programs, or they're not articulated the way he articulates it, but they make a drastic difference in how you can understand jiu-jitsu and how um, beautiful jiu-jitsu becomes because it's driven by mechanic and concepts and not physical attributes.
Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I, I can understand completely where you're coming from. It's it's beautiful to watch, right? If you're ever lucky enough to see Master Sauer and and Master Sauer roll as well, it's just it's just effortless. Um, and where I think to myself, oh yeah, if I tried to do that, I'd need to do two or three more steps in between. He just he just glides, he floats to to the best positions ever. It's amazing. Yeah, and that that thing you just said there is something I've recognized. Like we have perfect position. So when we're taught the armbar, we're taught all the perfect position and the bridges to the perfect position. So even when I'm in a position, it's I can feel very quickly, oh this doesn't feel right. And so we have this experiential pedagogy, this this method where how it feels is very, very important. It's even more important in a way than how it looks. Because my body will never look like Pete's body or, or Robin's body or your body. Because we just don't have the same body. Mm-hmm. But once mm-hmm. we're taught what feels right and what works, then we just have to look for that feeling. And um, I was a big, strong lad. You know, um, I started when I started doing jiu-jitsu. So I'm six feet, one inch. 280, 270 pounds. That's why the, the logo is a silver back, right? You know? <laughs> I'm a big dude. And um, what I hated about some of the other jiu-jitsu I did, because I, I was in another association, was I felt like jiu-jitsu was built for little guys. Mm-hmm. And all the things about me as a big guy were targeted as bad. You're being too strong. You're being too heavy. You're using too much pressure. But in, in this association, I never heard those things, right? It's like, use your connection and your leverage. And if that means that you're heavy, good, that's fine. Um, use your biomechanics to eat all that space up and travel through it. And um, that's when I felt, oh, being big is good. Crush all small people to death and then let them use their technique to, un- to address your technique. Because part of your technique is that ability to connect and be heavy and flowful and move. And, um, you know, a guy told me once, he's like, dude, you're like a silverback. I was like, yes, that's what I want. I want them to feel death pressure. I love it. I love it. Sorry, Rob, go on. You were going to say? Yeah, mission accomplished. I think um, what you were saying about having to learn by the kind of the feel, by the touch, that's the problem that we've really got at the moment when we're not allowed to touch each other. You know? Yes, it's huge. A lot of us are something else, but it's, it's so much more difficult because it is all learned by, by feel. Well, one of the things that um, is very helpful to us, because we, we do do um, remote learning, yeah. is that yeah. we have very clear mechanics in our association. So when you're in on your back, you're never on your back. You're, you're at an angle yeah. and your feet are in a very particular position. And our feet, um, one foot is what we call a Z post, which I got from Mike. And the other foot is in a kickstand position. And I can look at all my students, whether they're drilling at home, and I'm looking for those cues. Yeah. And those cues are like um, reference points. And those reference points can lead to road mapping transition. And because we have mechanical cues 
I'm like, for example, you know, somebody's on their back and they're at home. It's a couple. And I tell the wife, okay, put all your weight on your husband's shoulder. And if, if he's on his back in that defensive posture we have, and you can make his top shoulder touch the ground, then his feet aren't in the right position. Yeah. And then we can get him to keep playing with his feet until he finds that position where she can put all her weight on his shoulder and he doesn't move. And I know other associations call it invisible jiu-jitsu. Um, but, but for me, it's not invisible. It's just the mechanic is hard to see if you're not taught to see it. Exactly. Yeah. You mentioned about um, like learning by feel. And obviously, there's, there's some bits there that you can learn by, by, uh, by watching. But one of the things, Rondo, I wanted to ask you, and I think it links to one of your other martial arts. I think, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but Kalinda? Yes, Kalinda. The stick fighting. I, I was fascinated. I was listening to a podcast earlier and it was talking about the, 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 the way that you learn by the beats of the drums and the sounds. Um, and I just wondered whether or not you've ever like played with like teaching jujitsu, but with sounds as well. Because I know that you like to to try different ways of teaching. Um, there's I have suspicions, right? And that's why, like one of these days after corner master sour, we we did have an initial conversation. Grandmaster Elio Gracie spent a lot of his time fighting capoeiristas. Um, when you look at Gracie Jiu-Jitsu's striking syllabus, because a lot of people don't know Gracie Jiu-Jitsu did have a striking syllabus. There's a whole bunch of kicks. They are capoeira kicks. They're not like karate kicks, right? Yeah. Um, there's the martello. There's the, the kick where you're on your back and you, you do like an estobrado and you do like a roundhouse kick. You'll, you'll see in a lot of the early Valle Toro, you'll see the movement. Um, it means that they interacted with this pedagogical model a lot. And there's a certain sense and rhythm and timing. I saw a video in the early days where somebody was like, Hoist, you know, how do you improve your jiu-jitsu? And Hoist had told them, well, you have to learn samba. You have to learn to move your hip. Um, and he said, Jogode Senturu, which is the hip game. And, and there is a musicality. And we do practice the music. Like, I'm a big believer in creating this sensory space when you're doing jiu-jitsu that allows you to alter your state and learn in the altered state. And, and one of the easiest ways to alter state is through music. And um, because Brazilians are Brazilian, they wouldn't have to do that consciously. That would be their culture. Mm -hmm. So Holes and, and Hickson and those guys, already have other spaces where that information is being passed on. But right. it's deeply embedded in the jiu-jitsu. But sometimes, like Jordan, right? Jordan couldn't articulate everything Jordan did. You would have to look at the environment Jordan was in. And his environment would give you a lot of cues to what really he was doing. Because some of his stuff is subconscious. And that's one of the things I feel strongly about. I feel strongly that there's a musical movement. Um, if you want another classic example, look at some of the early gymnastica stuff. And you'll see, you'll see they, they have a whole set of um, movement and rhythm and a sense of timing that is being passed into the system by an alternate pathway. 
like when Mike Diaz, Professor Mike Diaz, was doing his online hymnastica classes, and one of the drills he did, which if you look at the early Hickson seminars, they would be mirror drills where they would almost be dancing opposite each other and asking the other one to follow. I don't know if you all saw that where Mike did the hymnastica, yeah. but it's reaction based. Yeah. That's dancing. And so we do a lot of stuff like that because I still believe, um, I'm a big believer in what built the fluidity and technique of Grand, uh, Grandmaster Pedro Sawa is some stuff in the Valle Todo syllabus where they would do drills where I would have a belt and I'd be swinging the belt. And your job is to time the swing of the belt to enter. So mm. when they teach entry to T position, there's a rhythmic component. And, okay. and when you learn that from the Valle Todo side and then you go to pure jiu-jitsu, the rhythmic sense of timing for entry stays. Um, we still do a lot in Trinidad of the open hand stuff. So in, in the middle of a drill, guys are rolling. We might just shout out, okay, whoever's on top can slap. <laughs> and it, it changes the perception and the rhythm and the timing. And when somebody's trying to slap you, your sense of when to upa is different than when you're not trying to be slapped. Yeah, and you have to feel their body to time the upa because when you don't do it right, you're going to get, right? <laughs> It kind of makes it easier, right, to upa when, when somebody's trying to slap you because, you know, you, you use their energy to, to you know, to, to, to be able to exploit that and, and, and you know. And, and that's them. the trick, learning to use their energy. And then once you have that sense of where their body is, then you're going to always wait for it because you no longer want to upa against their strength. Yeah. Once, once somebody's tried to slap you and you've timed the upa where it's like, it's like magic, it's like butter, you're like... You could do that. You could actually open this dude and not use any strength. Shucks, then I don't need to use strength anymore. And um, it's yeah, super cool how those elements of what we do and our heritage as like a old school, basic school, um, that hardline heritage we have access to changes the way we engage in jiu-jitsu. You know, mm -hmm. when I look at how our guys do close guard. We still teach the Ivali Todo close guard. Yeah. Um, and it's just sometimes people not seeing that that's what it is. And recently when Master Sawa did an Q&A, um, we sent a question, Mike put it out, where Greg Nelson and Master Sawa were talking about how they train. And I don't know if you all have ever met like Dan Berry mm -hmm. and Johnny One Eye. Uh, Jim Kelly, those guys are like I pay attention to pedagogy, right? So if I if I want to know who Peter is, I don't look at Peter. I find Peter's oldest student, not his newest student, because if Peter's been teaching twenty years, he's got no older, right? The students who know the most are when Peter's like just around forty-five. He's still bad enough to be bad, but wise enough to be wise. Those students are the ones who really carry the line. Then when Peter's 60, he's a little bit more relaxed, right? So the students that he has when he's 60 aren't the same as when he was 45. And yeah. when, when you spend time around James Gardner, Mike Diaz, Mike Diaz came to Trinidad. When, I, when you hang with those guys, you know, Mike Horihan, Jim Kelly, those guys, it, it's scary 
how good they are and how, you know, they're seniors. Some of them are in their 60s now and they're like, they're like scary dudes. And so that, that's part of what excites me about our community that we have access to, because you can imagine what it was like being in Utah, which is probably the home of American wrestling, and constantly having to prove your jiu-jitsu against probably one of the most athletic, best base, hardest to sweep cultures in the world, and having that crucible change jiu-jitsu. And, and that's what we've inherited. Master Sawa's Jiu-Jitsu had an additional layer of hardening that I think, I think a lot of guys don't appreciate. Um, and that's why, for example, if you look at UFC coaches, our association has some of the most successful Valley Toto coaches in the history of UFC. And it's like we have, I think, one of the largest contingent of successful coaches. You know, you have guys like Jeff Kuran, um, Rylan Lazar, um, guys, um, Craig Nelson, you know, and the list is actually much deeper than that. No, we, we were, um, with the only name that we've actually met, you know, firsthand in all of that is Mike Diaz. And we were fortunate enough to be able to sit down and talk with him last week Whoa. after the chat we were, we were saying similar things to you Rondell you know what would it have been like to have been around those you know in Utah at the time when all of those people were you know were training and you know, how how on earth do we try and you know recreate that that environment where you know where you know as as instructors and as students actually we we can you know progress and I don't know that we'll ever be able to progress as much as they did, but, you know, to try and get close to, to, to what they were able to achieve. I mean, we're lucky in that we have a very strong fundamental program that the association designed. Um, we call it the 1 to 25. And once we enter the open ranks, you know, it, it, we literally have the benefit of being able to call any of them. You can just call Craig Nelson in the morning. Say, Greg, mm -hmm. We look into work on strike base for three months. You know, Mike, we want to work on mobility and, and rhythm and timing and fluidity. You know, one of the things we have, and I, I'm lucky in that, you know, I'm stupid enough to just think I could talk to anybody, just call them up and ask them and expect them to answer, right? And it blew my mind. They answer you. They'll say, well, right, do this, do this, do this, do this. Look out for this. Call me back in five weeks. When Master Sawat, his first seminar I went to in Virginia, where he calls all his black belts into a circle, and he tells somebody throw the technique, and then he tells all his black belts, attack the technique mentally, dismantle it, rebuild it, show me your version of it. And I was like, I came for him to teach, but he's teaching by committee. Why would he do that? Then I realized, oh my God, he's using an open source learning model that allows continued innovation, continued access to the oldest information, because he knows, I know this about any master. You forget sometimes your own mastery. And your students remind you, remember, Peter, when you do this, this always works. And you're like, yeah, that's what I do. I know I do that. And um, I think that's the benefit of the culture he's created. The teaching and learning culture is absolutely open. 
and anybody can access any of his guys and he has guys that are are so world class it's it's frightening how good they are and they each have specialities and it's literally you just like i'll just call up mike mike i want to know this <laughs> call this guy mike i need help with this i'll talk to master sal and i'll get back to you and um that's the power i think of what we have and um it, it i think it's having the courage to hold because between youtube bjj fanatics online training accessible by a bunch of mundial champions it's very easy to become distracted it's very easy to not say i know i can call mike diaz and though mike diaz didn't win the latest adcc it does not invalidate his 20 years of jiu jitsu yeah. and he may actually know better tech I'll, I'll use a really horrible example um the world will kind of hate on me but i'll do it anyway i was watching somebody who i love i love gary tonan's jiu jitsu right mm -hmm. and i was looking at him doing a, a mount escape and he had ballerina feet and i was like but using his feet aren't right and i was like i was second guessing myself and then i said no it's okay that you're in master sawa's association and you can pick up and guys who could beat you they're much better than i am but i can still pick up technical errors not because i'm good but because i have access to minds that are that good and um i'm i'm having more and more confidence because of the plethora of online access i'm able to look at other guys who are world-class techniques and then compare it to what i'm able to access here and recognize yeah, there's many good types of jujitsu, and there's many different types of jujitsu. And it's okay to have confidence in the type of jujitsu you're studying because it's pressure tested in a very particular way, and it's it's unbroken in a very particular way, and it's been tested in a way that's unique among jujitsu programs, because very few jujitsu programs had to face actual quality of wrestling for years right and to be smaller than those guys and not be able to speak english and still be able to function in those spaces and to win those kinds of guys over and that's what master sawa did and so more and more the older i get the the, the confidence i'm starting to have in it doesn't have to be um ibjjf world champion to mean that the information you have access to is as good sometimes better and that's okay too right yeah it's interesting that do you think how like do you think because you appreciate obviously very much appreciate what you because you've seen other jiu-jitsu and learned jiu-jitsu from other people as well outside of the association so you kind of you kind of get the difference do you ever get to or do you ever find that you have to ex explain that to your students like <laughs> look what you're getting you don't realize what you're getting <laughs> you don't you know how how do you think we pass that on to 
like the next generation, the guys that come up under you and, you know, all those other instructors that, that maybe haven't trained anywhere else and so don't necessarily know the, the difference. Like that's something that I kind of think about quite a lot. Um, what, what I'm super lucky in that um, the, three, the three coaches that really built Gracie Jiu Jitsu Trinidad and Tobago, one of them was the first ever crew Muay Thai coach, certified Muay Thai coach in Trinidad. That's Christian Ali. The other guy is like a national MMA coach, national Taekwondo coach, fifth degree in karate. I, I was the national Sambo coach. I carried teams to world championships. We've seen international high-level competition. We have guys who actively are competing in IMMAF world championships in our school. We, we compete regularly against wrestlers, sambo practitioners, jiu-jitsu practitioners, judo practitioners. So the proof of the pudding is in the eating, as a Trinidadian say. It's, it's very easy for us to say, no, don't ask us, ask the guys who compete in right now. They'll tell you our stuff works because they're winning. And they're not winning with great complexity and, and super fancy technique. They're just doing this old school, boring jujitsu, and they're, they're doing very, very well. And um, that's one side. The other side is I think that the model, the teaching model we have, allows us to test. So if somebody, because Master Sauer, when you go to one of his seminars in Virginia, you literally can say, anybody can ask him, I've seen this on YouTube, how do you beat it? And he'll say, well, show me. And then you'll put it on him, and then he'll escape. And then you say, no, no, try, 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 really try. Show me this foot lock, this leg lock. I've never seen a worm guard, but show me. And as I've been to, like, the last six years, I've been to Virginia every summer camp. And every time they bring the latest cutting-edge ninja, gorilla, monkey guard, I watch him apply concepts and solve it. And so it's given me the confidence as an instructor to tell my guys, anything you see anywhere, bring it to the table, try it on me, and let's figure it out together. Because I think that's really important. I don't have the answer. But Master Sauer's concepts and the size of our community allows us to solve any problem if we ask the right people. If I can't solve it, then I'll ask Coach Gill or Coach Chris if they can't solve it. We are the insistent instructors. If not, we call Mike. If Mike, Michael call. You know what I mean? It's like I am super confident that there's no problem in Jiu-Jitsu. We can't get the solution to because of our size, the concept and principle-based splitting systems we have, and the fact that we're very open. Anything that is useful or works, Master Sauer adopts. Like there's no close-mindedness in our community's approach to jiu-jitsu. You know, if, if it's cool and it works, good, fine, let's go, guys. And, you know, that's Master's Hour. That's, to me, my impression of it. And um, I'm super grateful because I've been in, in other circles that are very close. And this way is the only way. And if you don't do it exactly like I say, it's bad. Um, we don't have that culture. We have a culture where bring it to the table. Um, you like rubber guard? Bring it put the rubber guard on me and let's apply concepts. 
let's look at the principles of good jiu-jitsu and let's let's see how it works and how it doesn't work and we take that information and we continually move forward where we are applying fundamental concepts our understanding of the fundamentals between because jiu-jitsu is kind of simple right you're either going to be attacking defending repositioning or disconnect that's all you could do and again that's conceptual but that's master's all right um and it's super simple if you're applying a submission there's only like four places it's going to be a limb there's two arms two legs neck spine that's it you know it, it's our our formulas um can be very precise because the variables believe it or not though they're expansive are limited like we have forward facing feet our feet don't face backward right mm -hmm. so it, you know it's it's what it is the body is very very specific in how it works and if you apply pressure in the right spaces you know stuff like to win a fight there's like four or five ways the guy's gonna submit you're gonna create dysfunction if he doesn't submit or you don't create dysfunction you can make him yield mentally some people just yield to pressure uh, or you can terminate function that's it the fifth way is unconsciousness and that's it i break a limb i make you quit i cut off pneumatic supply no air you're unconscious i i bounce your brain around inside your skull you go unconscious or i, I cut off blood supply yet your brain shuts down and um because so, we have a system yeah and i was going to say you mentioned you know I, I don't know if it was when we started recording or just before but you, you said about you know you stopped thinking in you know trying to collect lots and lots of techniques and you started to think more about the concepts but when you're you know so like you know you're standing at the start of a match you know you 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 know you you grip up and and, and away you go i've heard you talk before about you know right, i'm just gonna take them to the ground no matter how are you still like when when you're connected and when you're like you know thinking about taking them to the ground are you still like searching for the the technique or are you literally just i've got the right grips oh, now you know we're going to the ground you know whatever when, when does it switch for you jiu-jitsu and ground jiu-jitsu is exactly the same the first thing i have to do is make connection hmm. how do i make connection grip once i have grip what's the next step right after after ensure that i'm in the right posture and get them in the wrong posture after grip on posture what's next i need to ensure that i'm connected once i have connection i can generate leverage once i can generate leverage i'm gonna break their balance or break my balance somebody's balance can break and mm. once balance is broken we're gonna fall but it's the same exact thing on the ground it's the same thing when you're passing guard it's like um and and that's the benefit of of having conceptually based learning like throwing or submission it's not really different the orientation is different but all these steps are the same and it's five or six steps um and it is super simple step if i have no grip on you i can't throw you so i hold on to you if i hold on to you and i'm in a good position a good posture yeah. then you can't throw me and I'll move you around till you don't have good posture. Once your posture is broken and I connect to you, you're going to fall. 
And so for, for us, um, we're just trying to apply, because when you look at Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, there's five areas of study, right? There's strike-based Jiu-Jitsu, there's clinch and throw-based Jiu-Jitsu, there's ground fighting with strikes, there's ground fighting without strikes, and then there's just philosophy. That's how Grandmaster Elio set it up, right? We spend time working in all five areas, but we're applying Gracie Jiu-Jitsu in five areas. So to apply those those concepts then, Rondell, for you, I mean, is it, is it a case that you have to drill like the different techniques, the different moves, so that they just come naturally to you when you're trying, you know, to you know to, to connect, or when you're trying to, you know, move your body so that you can get better leverage? You know, have I you ever, or maybe a drilling. maybe a different question, but similar thing that I'm thinking. Uh, I, I don't I, I don't believe in repetitive drilling. Um, if you look at like a lot of the best guys in jiu-jitsu, they do what they call situational rolling. Mm -hmm. um, so let's use the Navy SEALs. If the Navy SEALs are going to hit a building, they build a mock of the building, and then they just keep trying to find different ways with different scenarios to solve the problem. So once you understand the basic concept, then we're going to put you in different situations around that concept. And those different situations do the teaching. Uh, so we'll make it real. We put a guy back against the wall and we show him how to keep bait. Then we say, all right, bad guy, use leg attacks to take him down, wrestling. Then we say, bad guy, use judo attacks to take him down while his back is against him. Then we say, all right, bad guy, punch him while he's against the wall. And each of those different scenarios will inform this. So that base becomes a living concept where the base is constantly adjusting to the stimulus. And that's what you really want to learn. You don't want to learn the, re the supposedly repetitive response to the stimulus. You want to learn to adapt to whatever stimulus that's coming and adjust it. And for, for me, Jiu-Jitsu is really about constantly being able to adjust. So that's what you're really teaching. Um, so right, we teach T position. But once we teach T position, there's like five or six different forward, back, left, right. And if you look at the throws in our basic fundamental program, forward throw is the hip throw, back throw is the leg hook throw, or the sit down throw. If the guy steps sideways, you hook the leg. If the guy steps into your pommel and change the side. So now we have four directions and we have the T position. And then all we tell our bad guy to do is don't only go forward or backward or left or right or squat down. Just, just constantly try any different one. And the guy in T position has to constantly read the pressure and adjust and try to, to solve the equation. Mm. So for me, and that's old style Gracie. If you look at like the, the master text, people think the master text is like 100 techniques. When the master text is like five or six areas of study with options in that area. The attackers in the front, these are all the options. And then if you look at like how Hickson drills it or Master Sauer, once you know four or five of the responses, I let the bad guy just start cycling through those four or five, really random. Mm -hmm. and, and you'll see Hen and they do, they call it pressure test and drills. Because they know that there's only so much you can get from repetitive drilling. 
Yeah. You have to go to a dynamic environment where you're forced to solve the problem in real time. No, I, I yeah. really enjoyed listening to you talk about that. So, you know, it's yeah. insightful. I was going to ask though, have you ever found yourself in, in, in a position where you haven't got a response, where you don't have an answer? I think if you're doing good training and you have good training partners, you'll constantly be there. Yeah. And, I, and I'm always, I'm lucky. My training partners are guys who, who, who live, like really live. And if, if you're around guys who've been bouncers or street fighters, guys who live and had rough lives, mm -hmm. then they'll constantly be able to put you in positions that you can't plan for. And I think that's what training is supposed to be. So when you look at the, the Gracies tying their hands and rolling or blindfolding themselves and rolling, or, you know, like I have a, because I'm bigger, I have a bad guard because I can always put guys on their back and I can always pass. So when I was in my brown belt phase, I said, Mike, that sucks. He says, well, okay, take two tennis balls, hold a tennis ball in each hand and play guard. Right, so there's always ways, and that's why I think there's two guys who stand up. Hickson got good training with white and blue belt when he was in the States, right? He wasn't in Brazil anymore, but he kept getting better. And his whole understanding of connection didn't happen in Brazil, it happened in the States. And Hodger got good when he was in London, training with white belt and blue belt. And, um, Braulio Steamer won a world championship training with white belts and blue belts. And when I listened to their interviews, I figured out, oh, what they do is they force themselves constantly into positions where all the people in the space have all the advantages and they're continually disadvantaged. And the disadvantage helps them acquire the ability to spontaneously solve problems. And that's what makes them really good because their perceptive speed, not their physical reaction, is where they're like next level. You talk to anybody who trains with Hickson and they're like, he's reading your mind because he's able to perceive shifts in balance mm. because he's forced himself to be in positions where my hands are tied, my feet are tied, and two students are trying to choke. I have one student doing a leg lock and one student doing an armbar. Now I have to escape. You know, and um, when you listen to like, like Master Sao and those guys and Greg Nelson, you start hearing that these are the stories. They would put themselves constantly in, and then there's an additional layer that we don't have access to, right? Where if you're training in an environment where at any minute, anybody could walk through the door at any time and say, I don't think you know what you know. Prove it. Mm -hmm urgency you train with different right yeah. um, when we now started off in trinidad maybe 10 years ago it was still kind of like that so i've experienced dojo storming you know um, and i know that that feeling is a drastic stimulus in developing so you know there's ways where you can experience dojo storming where you can you can allow your senior students at a random time to say X word and they get to blindfold you and you have to defend yourself for five minutes. Like randomize the training in a way that's safe 
but that keeps you uncomfortable psychologically, physically, and emotionally. Mm-hmm. And that discomfort forces the organism to continually try to protect itself. And yeah, so in Trinidad, we're still kind of crazy. <laughs> you, um, uh, I heard you say something that, that the reason that, you know, part of being excited to talk to you was that you, you said something that completely rang bells with me about, um, about competing and, and you wanting to throw or take down to, to pass rather than uh, necessarily having to just pass guard and that you thought how important you thought takedown was and that actually that's, you know, as soon as they've, they've seen you do a couple of takedowns, everyone sits down on their butt and doesn't want to stand anymore and doesn't want to play anymore. And that's, that's kind of been my experience coming from a judo beginning. Yeah. Um, you step on the mat to compete and as soon as you grip up with your first guy, everyone then sees it or they feel how relaxed you are standing and everyone then sits down and the, the sort of the frustration of having to deal with everyone just sitting down. Well, how, how, much, how much are you guys training with your, well, it's probably two parts, but how much are you guys training with your throws still and, and how much do you feel like, because I feel like um, jiu-jitsu really helped me understand judo. From all that stuff you were just saying, it really yeah. rang bells with me. I suddenly went, Oh, that no one explained judo to me in, in a conceptual way. Correct. Because judo is, is now taught very um, technique repetitive because mm-hmm. of the competition nature of the present expression of judo. For competition, yeah. you need razor sharp technique. Right? So there is a, a kind of clause in what I'm saying. If you want to be the best in the world at judo, at jujitsu, it's probably best to learn three techniques and just have them so razor sharp that it doesn't matter if the other person knows what you're doing or not. They just can't stop it. But that's a very limited, injury-prone pathway that diminishes development over time. And you're going to run into somebody who that, those three won't work with, and then you're done, right? Um, in my case, we train... Throws and takedowns, which is a combination of wrestling and judo, once a week for two hours. So we have three three classes, Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday. Um, Saturday evening, there's a two-hour block that's not a class, which is just different, either situational-based drilling, rolling, some kind of situational-based sparring, something. Or sometimes we still do weapon-based sparring where five of the guys have knives and two have guns and they're doing normal jiu-jitsu and then I might just ball weapon. And then they pull out the gun and let's see what guys do, right? Um, so that stuff happens. But then on the Sunday, we have a two-hour class that's strictly about throwing. Take down. Because there's like three ways to pass the guard. You can pass the guard the jiu-jitsu way, which is um, very simple. If you get gripped, you change your angle, collapse barriers, control the armpit to hip space, and connect to the spine, you pass. That's all you have to do to pass. It's like, that's, those are the steps. The next way is, I can pass by submission. If I have your ankle or I have a Kimura grip, and the risk of the submission is so high that you can't pay attention to putting your legs between us, I'm passed. I can pass by throwing, 
Or if I hold on to you and I project you, and while you're landing, I manage your landing so that your legs are not between us, I'm fast. Right? Those are like the three main ways. I, I'm starting to feel there's a fourth way, um, which is what the, the guys who are pulling guard to pass are doing. Um, you can literally pull guard and invert, and it will induce a moment where one of the people can't really um, manage the three-dimensional relationship. They get confused for a second, and they lose kind of control of their limbs. That's how Burnbolo and that stuff is working. When I invert the guy, we're both upside down and we're all tangled up. The guy who best knows the pathway ends up on top. So that, that's the fourth way that is very clearly a successful way. But, and then there's, if you're talking Valetoda, there's passing by striking. And then that's it. So there's literally five different ways to pass. And I think my guys have to know all five. Um, it's very critical for me because we still live in an environment that um, some people deem third world, but it, it means that my guy still needs self-defense. You know, I, I hear a lot of guys in like the States saying, oh, I'll never get in a street fight, so why do I need that stuff? I don't know about that stuff. I live in a place where it can jump off. And if it jumps off, um, like if I was living in the UK now, because the UK and Trinidad are very culturally similar, because we were a British colony at one point, right? Um, guys carry knives. Mm -hmm. And if I was in the UK right now, you know, 20% of my jiu-jitsu would be knife defense. There's too many stabbings. And the time to figure out how to apply a jiu-jitsu when the guy has a knife isn't when the guy pulls the knife. So, yeah. yeah. If, you know, my guys were going to do boxing and in the middle of the boxing, I'll pull a knife. I'll pull out a knife. Now let me see you go. You know, we're doing rolling and I'll just say knife. And then, I mean, it's amazing to see how, how exceptional high-level jiu-jitsu practitioners go to mush when there's a little stick in the hand. They just right? But um, it's the cognitive override that occurs because their brain isn't prepared for stimulus that they fear. And so that's part of it. You, know, you have to just get your guys used to stimulus that's unexpected in the space. And when you talk to a lot of the old-school guys, you know, Grandmaster Elio is that kind of dude. Stuff would just happen in the middle of class. And um, to have fidelity to the culture of the system is as important as having fidelity to the syllabus for me. And um, I'm super lucky that the, the fraternity we have in Trinidad are all cool with those ideas. And do you, do, you, um, do you introduce those ideas with, with all of your students? So regardless of grade, everybody gets the same? Up. Yeah. From day one, we have, um, and I guess, again, I, I'm a, I think I'm like one of the luckiest dudes in the world, right? In that, you know, when they taught, the, they taught me and the other instructors, there's three of us who are certified in the, what they call the fundamentals of our system, the lessons one to 25. In lessons one to 25, there's weapons. Yeah. And Mike's structure of, once you finish one to 25, you're allowed to enter open rank training. My white belts are invited to open rank. Now I tell them, in open rank, I'm teaching the higher rank. If you want to be in the class, feel free. So I don't stop white belts from coming to advanced classes. 
I just attend to the advanced ranks in it. Whatever the white belt gets, he gets. What he doesn't get, he doesn't get. You know, because when I'm teaching the fundamental classes, I'm focusing on the white belt, open rank is to the open rank. But all our students are allowed to go to both classes. We don't, we don't segregate it that way. And if we're working, we have three months um, areas of study. Three months leg lock or three months leg lock defense. Three months weapon, three months weapon defense. Because it takes about three months. If, if we're teaching guard passing, we're also teaching guard retention. Because we teach, we teach opposing skills. Mm. So that one guy's doing guard retention while the other guy's passing. You know, if we're teaching takedown, we're teaching takedown defense at the same time. And we just, every three months, we cycle, cycle, cycle. And um, I'm super excited. Uh, I've seen such growth and confidence in the student body in, in short periods of time. Um, and I've, I've had guys come to me and they're literally like, you know, Benji, I don't watch YouTube anymore. But I, I didn't stop you from doing it. You know, yeah, but it, you know, it's there's enough here to keep us occupied. You know, and I encourage guys to look at stuff, but I think they pick up really quickly, really early. You can't watch everything. You have to attend to what you want to attend to, and you know, we have to keep it real, um, keep it effective. Um, I actually believe it or not, um, I like Perimbolo. I like inversion because when I do an inversion at 250 pounds, it's very confusing, right? <laughs> You're like, the fat guy's doing the inversion. How's he doing that? Because I'm just very flexible. But that's my personal jiu-jitsu. That's what I consider fun jiu-jitsu for me. That's not fundamental jiu-jitsu. And it's not an area where I necessarily want to spend three months teaching a guy to go into a position that he anatomically can't attain. And the cost to attain it to his cervical spine is too high. I'm like, that's not making sense to me. I can do it, but that doesn't mean necessarily because I can do it. It's, it's syllabus. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we've got guys that are saying like, there's things that a couple of them... <laughs> Uh, Sean in particular can do because he's one of our guys that's super flexible that I'm not doing. <laughs> oh, but that's I'm cool. 45 now, so I mean, it, I know soon I'm just not going to do some of that stuff. Just yeah, I've, I've had enough of that, but I can do it. You know, I, I was doing leg lock since 1995 because the first system I studied outside of Trinidad was sambo. I'm a old sambo guy, so. I like leg locks. Um, in Trinidad, we teach leg locks from jump because we have a lot of experience with leg locks and what to teach and what not to teach and how to create a culture where leg locks are safe. Um, and I, I don't want guys, like the white belts aren't allowed to apply them, but the blue belts can apply leg locks on the white belts. The blue belts are safe and they won't hurt the white belts because in our school, you know, Master Sawa 101. If you hurt somebody, it's your fault. If you want that toe hold so bad and he doesn't want to tap and you're scared to let go of the toe hold and move on, you're in the wrong school and the wrong system. Mm. If I have you in a perfect armbar and you just don't want to tap and I'm scared to let go of the armbar 
because I'm frustrated and I have to break your arm. I'm not doing jujitsu. You're doing something else, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, the senior guys apply, junior guys learn defense. And um, it creates a really nice culture, super safe. Um, by us, you don't get brownie points for hurting people. And like we have a, a, a no badass um, requirement. Like, mm-hmm. We don't need killers. Yeah. If you're a killer and you want to be a killer, there's tons of places for you to go. So, Rondell, you, you mentioned um, you mentioned the six uh, you know, concepts from from Elio Gracie, and then the Hickson, and then the Master Sal ones added on top of that. Um, am I right in thinking you you came into the Master Sal Association around two thousand what seven something like that? Yes. Obviously, there was a lot of jujitsu before you came into the association. So, I mean, and this seems like your home, like it should be, because it's a wonderful place. But how much of the jujitsu from before do you wish you, you know, you knew what you know now so that it will make you last longer on the mats? Or, or you know, because I remember you saying something about, you, you know, you come from like a, a fighting family or, you know, a heritage of, of you know, like a, you know, like a long history of, of, of fighting. Yeah, I mean, just to give you all an example, I'm, I'm what's in Trinidad called American. So the, the Americans came from these military units that fought in the U.S. Civil War um, in the 1818s. Um, they were freed slaves. They weren't freed. They revolted and they started fighting against the Americans as guerrilla units. And um, when the war of the Civil War was done, and the Americans got freed from the British. Part of the deal was they told the British, take these six companies and keep them. Just don't leave them here. We don't want no part of them. <laughs> so they sent them to Canada, and Canada said, we don't want them. So they tried to send them to Liberia, and Africa said, no, no, no. They're too crazy. So they sent them all to Trinidad, right? And, um, and they, in the 1800s, they were free, had land, were warlike and aggressive, right? And so they were like this little weird pocket where the culture is extremely martial. Um, and that's, that's my family, right? And um, we fight full contact, no equipment, no PPE, stick fighting. Um, I know guys who taught me full contact, blade fighting, no equipment. And th- those were, this is what you do. Um, my kids, well, I'll hand them sticks now and they'll just be fighting in the yard as like a game. Um, so that's, that's the cultural background from which I'm from. And then the first word I ever said was fighting. And um, I've been doing martial arts for 34 years. And I'm 45, right? And um, literally, I've never stopped training a single day of my life. Every single day I do something. So um, that... So the so the master sour kind of approach to you know the longevity on the mats and you know you know all of your movements are you know you should be protecting yourself you know do you wish you'd learned that earlier because it sounds like you've had quite a quite a full on hardcore kind of existence. <laughs> what jujitsu's cost me? You notice my hand, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm missing a finger. ACLs, PCLs torn. Um, I have like three discs that just, they're no longer discs in my back. That's from Sambo days, like no discs. 
Right? I had sciatica. I couldn't walk for three months. I busted my head, broke my arms, tore up my legs. If I knew Master Sawa, my body would be pristine. Mm-hmm. I'd never get hurt. Because then I would know. That, that self-protection thing he talks about, I realize people don't get what he's really saying. Yeah. He's a guy who destroyed both of his shoulders and has pins in both of his shoulders, yet can roll with people up to 200 pounds heavier than him and doesn't get hurt. Mm. Right? So his, his conversation on self-protection didn't come from, I've always been this way. Learn the hard way. <laughs> right. And so some of us have learned the hard way that it's not worth it. Some of it's not worth it. I have three kids. I don't I don't need my son to do what I've done to myself to be able to do what I do now. Yeah. I don't need it. It doesn't make sense. You know? When I get off from the bed in the morning and it takes me three minutes to warm up, just to walk to the kitchen. It's not worth it. And um when I was in, because I was an alliance in Venezuela, you know, some of those training sessions, my, my, my fingers, you would know this, Peter, from judo. Like, you literally can't close your hands. And, and like, I have to go to work. Uh, I used to work in the oil field. So I have to go on the rig, and I can't close my hands. And my whole job is using my hands to do my job, so I can't work. And it's not worth it. It doesn't make any sense. And I, I remember asking Mike, Mike, what do you guys do in, in Pedro Sawa to protect your hands? He says, if you're holding onto their gi and they're fighting, let them go. Like, what do you mean, let them go? Why are you holding on to it? Are you scared? Is your jujitsu not good enough that if you don't have the death grip, you still can't function? Is this possible that I could do jujitsu and not like have the death grip till all my fingers have semi arthritis and they're all inflamed? Like, if the guy wants you to let go, just let go. I have enough jujitsu that I'll be fine. And those are the things that, you know, I, I hope younger jujitsu practitioners realize. Like, it, 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 there's so much space and so much technique and so much time and so many concepts of self protection that literally, it, if you know jujitsu well, there's not much somebody can do to you. And that's, I think, when people talk about the survival mindset and you hear about, you know, Grandmaster Elio at 92 training. That's how. He knew how to defend himself without using a lot of his resources and putting himself in positions of risk. He knew how to protect himself. And if I do that long enough and you don't know those concepts, you're going to gas yourself out. And then when you gas yourself out, it's my turn. And when it's my turn, I'm not gonna miss. That's <laughs> the so, happiest yeah. face. That's the happiest face I've seen you pull there. Look at <laughs> yeah. I, all those young bucks. They, you know, they're 18 years old and they just saw UFC 245, and they just come into the gym and they're like, "Oh, this guy has gray hair. Oh, he's slow and old." <laughs> you know, and about 15 minutes in, right? They're just beating on you for 15 minutes, and you're just shrimping and relaxing and focusing on your breath and staying aligned and protecting your fingers. And then you see this glimmer in their eye of deep panic. And then they really go after you because you know this is their last hurrah. You know, they've reached empty. Just before empty, they go berserk, right? And you're just smiling because you know after berserk, 
is mighty. And here's what happens every time. After they go berserk and it's my turn, when I sweep them and I go to mouth, they tap immediately. <laughs> I don't, no, 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 like, don't tap. It's my turn. I get to go crazy. No, you've, you've won. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the great power of jujitsu. You're like, oh, if I only knew this when I was that strong, oh, I'd have been a killer. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. um, I promise you that Trinidad and Tobago is now on my um, my wish list of places to go. You've uh, you've sold it to me, and I, I want to make sure I, I pay you a visit at some stage. Oh, we'd love to have you guys come down, but just make sure and get your swim on, right? Because what I love to do is carry guys out um, to swim, and mm-hmm. just people teach breath breath work from a place that doesn't have a space to test. So they'll do like breath of fire and they'll do the hicks and breathing, but there's no place to check if your internal state is like in the right spot, right? But I carry guys out because I'm a free diving instructor too. We do the breath work and then I tell you, right, go down 10 feet and hold a rock. And um, it creates a safe space where you can figure out how to manage your internal resources and stay super calm. Then when you're on the mat and a guy has a cross choke on, you're like, mm, this, this, this is not a problem. It's not a problem. So yeah, get your swimming on, come down. We'll do some some breathing, some swimming, some jujitsu. It'll be cool. Um, uh, yeah. That sounds very good right now. We're all missing it big time. We're wondering whether or not we're ever going to be allowed to travel again at the moment. <laughs> uh, no, we'll be fine. Um, one of the things that you all saw the podcast with John Jacka and Master Sawa. Mm-hmm. I left that podcast feeling better. Yeah. Because you ever seen guys who've been there and done it, and they're, they're, they're not worried about retention. They're not worried about whether Jiu-Jitsu will ever happen again. They're not worried about, they're talking about we're a community and we'll take care of each other and we'll keep each other safe and we'll take care of the family of our family and we'll get through this because we've gotten through everything else. Like that's, I dig that, you know, I dig talking to you guys because I know if you're in an airport in the Caribbean and you need anything, you know, Hey, Benji, I'm in Jamaica. I'm having a problem with Benjamin Trinidad, you know, and I know, like, that's the cool thing about jiu-jitsu. Um, there's anywhere I go, and we don't need ju- dojos to do jiu-jitsu. Like, okay. um, and our students will always be the people who we are most responsible to. Because they aren't our students because of the money. They are students because they believe in us. You know, not even in the information, you know. They believe in us. And um, when, when we do... Zoom classes. Sometimes the class is about how are you handling COVID with your kids? How are you explaining COVID to your family? Mm-hmm. Um, what are you scared about? Like, that's jujitsu too, right? And um, we are in a space among a community who thinks like that, you know, like Master Sawa. I, I'm seeing him on Facebook fixing his car or cutting grass with his wife during COVID. I'm like, yeah, that's how you do that. You know, it's, that's what we're about. And it's, it's really cool 
to be in a fraternity that still has a kind of code, you know. Um, the Valente brothers keep talking about the 753 code. Yeah. Um, because it's a nice way to articulate what we know we do. You know, we, we have on a, we operate in a place where equanimity is like a really big deal. Like, you can't be freaking out on the mat just because somebody has a choke on, you know. So we are in a culture that teaches, you know, motion, that mental state of flow. We, we um, live flow. And so, yeah, that's, those are the big things for me right now to keep reinforcing our values and our codes and our community. And we have doctors in our school. We have first aid dudes. We have dudes who really smart. And they explain to those of us who are not so smart what we need to do and how we need to, you know, do different stuff. And yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty, pretty stoked that COVID has taught me a new space to apply jiu-jitsu. Yeah, definitely. I think, that, I mean, without the COVID situation, I don't think we would have uh, got this podcast started. Um, it's been something that they're talking about for, for many, many years, but it's never happened. And then all of a sudden, I'm looking forward to the Friday night podcast because we're getting to talk to some fantastic people. And like the, the fire for jiu-jitsu is, is getting stronger and stronger just because of all of these little insights and these lessons that, you know, people like yourself, uh, Rondell, were willing to share. So, uh, yeah, thank you. No, it's, it's really cool, man. And, um, you know, I really appreciate, you know, whatever I could do to share the little bit I've received. And, um, when, you know, when talking to you guys, I'm feeling, yeah, feeling the, the, that, that family feeling. No, definitely. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I think that's perfect, perfect spot to... Uh to stop and let you go and again like bill said thank you know thank you my man thank you so much for for jumping on and and talking to you know our guys watch this kind of live on youtube and and then some of them will listen to it back on itunes and stuff so um cool and if anyone sort of wants to look up your academy or whatever how do they how do they kind of look it up see what you guys are doing gracie jiu-jitsu trinidad and tobago um we're super easy to find and um, everybody's welcome, you know. Pedro Sauer family is like family, family. You know, just come down. We'll do our best to take care of you as much as we can and hang out and, you know, make sure you know the island. Um, make sure and Google carefully Trinidad and Tobago Carnival. I strongly suspect it will guide the time of year you choose to visit. And um, yeah, I'll leave that little surprise for those of you all who, who don't know about Trinidad and Tobago. Especially UK guys, though, you know, you all have direct flights with Virgin set to Tobago. And um, Tobago is like a wonder of the world in terms of the coral reefs and the beaches and stuff. So, yeah, just check us out. We have your back and um, looking forward to seeing some of you guys down here. Awesome. On, on the wish list now, Rondell. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm looking now. Ah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Cool. Have a great, uh, what is it, day for you? Or you got the evening? Or? Well, it's, yeah. it's 5.30 here. So I'm yeah. going to hang out with the kids, um, try to cook something really cool, and um, just enjoy the sunset. So big ups, big yeah. love. See you guys Thank soon. Take care, Rondell. Take Thank care. Bye-bye.